our community and the communities uh, of the world are now uh, uh, prison camps, all because of the aggression of, uh, of U.S. imperialism and the bureaucratic uh, capitalism here at home. That the fight has just started, actually, to uh, change the conditions uh, that destroy life, and that is our life's work. Uh, we will just intensify the struggle and make the people aware that it's their power that makes the change uh, in uh, the course of history and the conditions under which we live. Back to the Liquid Flannel Podcast from Arlington, Texas. I am Matthew Hodges, joined as ever by my excellent comrade and co-host in Omaha, Nebraska, Brendan Williams. Hey, Brendan. We're back. We're always back. We're back every week. <laughs> it just keeps happening. <laughs> this, should, this should not be surprising to anyone at this point. You can't get rid of us. We're like a bad penny. Oh, I can get rid of that. Just throw that shit away. <laughs> I just think I'm no country for old men now. The coin. That's you guys. <laughs> no, it's a, that's a that's a coin flip, I think. Well, that that voice that you hear on the other end of the line is an old friend of our show, ordinarily from Wisconsin, but right now coming to us from New York City in New York. Ken Klippenstein. Hi, Ken. Hey guys, new location, same great flavor. Have you relocated, or are you just you're just traveling for work? No, just for work. Yeah. Sorry to expose your undercover secrets. I know that. Uh... <laughs> oh shit, dude! We just blow your cover. <laughs> we were just talking about That's OPSEC a... and the in the oh, no. uh, Big Daddy dog guys. Come on, damn it! Now that they know you're in New York City, it, it's only a matter of time. Yep. In, in fairness, none of this is going to go out until you know, like five days from now. So you've got you got that much time, Klippenstein. Yeah. Oh, that'd be a funny Justice Department indictment. It's just the words liquid flannel in a, in a DOJ release. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they haven't responded to our FOIA requests on all of the, the monitoring of, uh, of our activities. I guess they'd redact to be U.S. Media Organization 1. And then we'd have to wait two or three days for the Times to find out that it's liquid flannel. And then you see liquid flannel in the New York Times. Right. <laughs> That's our goal. Well, I don't know. We, we're, we're from Trump country, so it's possible that the New York Times would be incredibly friendly to us, at least in the op-ed pages. <laughs> That's right. The New York Times was doing a story and they were in Omaha because they were interviewing the family of one of those uh, dudes who died of vaping in Omaha. And I was like, man, New York Times scooping us again. <laughs> we, we did even talk about, we had that long conversation about how we needed to cover the vaping epidemic. And now it was destroying the working class. Yeah. And then, you know. Oh, it's definitely going to be a, a part of uh, of the Trump uh, re-election yeah. troubles. He's got a lot of vape fans out there. There, Did you see the rally where people were holding signs that were like, I vape and I vote? <laughs> it was <laughs> so great. Do you guys remember Chris, Chris Caesar had that as his username for like months, maybe like four years ago. And little did I know this was going to become an actual thing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Because with Trump, it, was, it wasn't it was just vaping, but it was also gaming. 
And it's like, wow, you're like completely not interested in your 4chan voter base anymore, I guess. <laughs> well, it's the perfect like bookend because he has to insult and humiliate like every one of his supporters. <laughs> right, and now he's yeah. just getting around to that group. <laughs> Did he ever announce a winner in his like rapping for Trump MAGA raps contest? Did that is that still happening? Wait, oh, God, that's right. That was a thing. <laughs> yeah, the, it was the, the hashtag MAGA challenge. <laughs> Donald Trump was in on this? That was his, uh, he tweeted about it. I think it was like the day before the <laughs> impeachment hearing started. He was like, everybody use the the hashtag MAGA challenge and post your, your sickest flows and I'll be picking a winner. Oh, dude, I'm going to go as soon as this interview's done and check Eli Lake and see if he had one. Have you guys seen this? Respect the police. <laughs> I am genuinely shocked that you don't know about this because I swear to God, I saw Jordan Yule posting at you on this hashtag he has it blocked mute 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 <laughs> yeah that's smart actually well i can't be, yeah i can't be expecting to see everything that jordan says to her about <laughs> me. i think it's just the most beautiful like twitter bromance between the two of you um, oh he rocks possibly unreciprocated um, <laughs> un, 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 unrequited bromance on the part of Jordan Yeo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I want to circle back around to the way that that strategy kind of uh, backfires on the Trump administration sometimes. But first, because we've got Ken on the program, we've got to ask him about this article that he just published in The Intercept. Ken, it seems like you basically got all of the information on like the new Cointel Pro. It turns out that the DOD and all of the uh, uh, like immigration enforcement folks have been uh, surveilling like leftist and sometimes uh, like groups of faith. Anybody who's opposed to like concentration camps at the border. Sadly, when you said Cointel Pro, flipping through the stories in my head, thinking I got an FBI like right, one that's right. like that, and I've got a couple DOD ones that are like that. But the one that I have now um, showed that the. Uh, Pentagon at, at the border, um, they have new authorities under President Trump's pursuant to President Trump's um, emergency declaration over undocumented immigration, uh, and they've been using those authorities to uh, it looks like monitor protest groups that that came to oppose, say, family separation, um, ICE detention facilities, and I should note that this includes you know, what seem to be pretty innocuous interfaith groups, for instance, you know, nonviolent protesters, not the sorts of things that you would think the, you know, force of the Pentagon would have to would be required to come down on. But right. yeah, that's what the documents show. I love the, the term that they use as, quote, anti-border wall extremists. I know, right? Like nuns. The plurality of the, it was an interfaith group, but it was like the plural, the most common group was, uh, it was Jewish folks, like Lutherans, Catholics. It was like not you know, the scariest sounding group of folks, but this is what they're getting. They're actually getting, it's called a threat assessment. They're getting uh, first their situational awareness. They're getting updates on these different groups, what they're, mm -hmm. what they're doing at the border. I mean, in fairness, uh, as far as extremists goes, it does seem like the border wall is more or less a binary thing, right? Either one is like, yes, we have a border wall and zero is no, we don't have a border wall. Um, so anybody who says, no, we don't need this, that, that would be on the extreme end of that <laughs> spectrum, the like zero and one spectrum, right? Well, we're going to see how much Trump pushes this. I mean, it, I think it'd be really funny if he just ends up getting kind of like a chicken wire kind of thing. And he's like, we did it, folks. There's the wall. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, did you see that because people, he gets mad that people keep saying that the wall isn't being built. He wanted to put up webcams of like live <laughs> wall construction. 
Um, which again, I, I don't know that that would go super great for him because it would literally just be like a 24 seven live stream of government waste of like government <laughs> contractors not really working. It would be amazing. I, I really hope that he pulls it off. Oh God. Can you imagine how much graft that's called transparency right there? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's the reason that I called it kind of the new co Intel pro, right? Because I mean, you, you saw the same thing during the, the 60s and 70s during the anti-war and civil rights movements where, you know, you've got the FBI like putting millions of dollars into funding to implant agents inside of groups that are just talking about, I don't know, like black community, like neighborhood um, activism and and uh, mutual support sort of stuff. In addition to, I don't know, say like the Weather Underground, who were actually talking about like bombing congressional buildings. There's no that the the government doesn't seem to draw much of a distinction between you know actual threats and just kind of perceived. We need to keep an eye on these people. Where you get like a group of Lutherans, what are they going to do? Yeah, it's interesting. If you look at the documents, and I embedded them in the uh, story, I encourage people to look at the primary source stuff. It shows that they have some like intelligence collection questions at the bottom of the threat assessment. S- seems to show that they're being prompted to look for these things. So it's like, what threats are posed by anarchist extremists? What threats are posed by anti-border wall extremists? And so then they're just going through answering them. You know, my speculation, and you know, I've sort of heard stuff that doesn't prove this but suggests it is that you know the military is being directed to do these things and they find it ridiculous but they have to do it because it's coming to them from you know their superiors and so then they'll have to answer and be like here's the threat posed by this here's the threat you know just answer these things i mean do you trust that though as a journalist that i mean given what we have learned about um the way that like white supremacist groups have actively tried to infiltrate say, Border Patrol, the Department of Defense, um, law enforcement. I mean, when when their press release or, or whatever response they have to a story like this that comes out that's like, this is just us keeping an eye on things. What's your actual takeaway on that? Do you think that that's are they just doing PR speak? Do you take them at their word that like, no, there's not a white supremacy problem, like spying on Americans that we politically disagree with problem well, within these departments? At a certain point, the distinction becomes blurry because once they're instructed to start finding threats, it might start out that they think it's ridiculous and then uh, slowly they start to normalize and believe it. I'll give you an example. I had a story um, a couple weeks prior to this one where I found that there was a Marine who had been telling other Marines in his unit that he was going to go down to the border and, quote, take out um, what he considered to be child traffickers and cartels, God knows who you know he's going to decide, um, you know, are secretly in, a, in on those things. But he ended up disappearing. He left with his several guns, a shotgun, a rifle, a handgun, and um, thank God they were able to apprehend him before you know anything happened. But it looked like he was trawling along uh, points of entry at the southern border. While I was investigating this story, uh, of course the you know the DOD didn't tell the public this. The FBI was worried about it and knew exactly what was happening. They also didn't tell the public. But what I found was that that guy had actually been on, it seems like he had been on border rotation prior to this. So what I'm being told from folks in the military that I know is that people will go down to these things, have a border patrol agent sort of show them around and tell them this, you know, we got to watch out for these scary guys here. We got to watch out for these cartels here. And then they'll actually come back you know, sort of radicalized, having before thought that all this stuff was ridiculous and then be shown around and kind of given the whole tour by by CBP and then and then come out a lot more of believers than they than they came in. So I, I do think that there can be a sort of 
Right. Um, it's kind of like Trump, right? It's like he's sort of this ridiculous figure, but then also like a lot of that rhetoric, it ends up, some of it ends up becoming uh, policy behind closed doors. So I guess the distinction is sort of blurry, I think. It plays right into what they're hoping to do because at the same time that they're out there saying, well, we need to keep an eye on these like radical anti-border wall extremists because like they're the real danger to you know, this nation is like, they might be going down here and like trying to do terrorism on the border or whatever. Yeah. They're going to do the thing that that one dude did and like throw a couple of firebombs at like CBP vehicles or something before. He right. Gets who that, down. who that guy got it like immediately taken down with, uh, with lethal force or whatever for like breaking windows on, on right. border patrol cars or whatever. But yeah, at the same time, they're literally openly, partnering with like paramilitary right-wing groups to say like hey do you want to volunteer to be like a border patrol helper like and also wink wink you don't even have to follow the rules that the actual border patrol does um how convenient and even the border patrol like there was that facebook group that they had that was like oh border patrol agent like private facebook group come in here and like post all your racist memes about about how much you love being in the border patrol sure and so at the same time that that stuff's going on which you would think like maybe they should be concerned about that type of activity as well. That's so heavily downplayed and just said like, oh, well, that doesn't represent everybody. But these like, you know, interfaith groups that are like, maybe this border wall is actually a bad idea. Um, they're like, well, we need to take this deadly serious. So <laughs> right. it, it's hard to take their uh, their perspective very seriously when that is inherently contradicting itself. Well, right. And you know that it's not coming just from the bottom up because, uh, what just in the past week, we've had those, the, the revelations that like Stephen Miller, who's like one of <laughs> yeah, Trump's right. top advisors is passing along, you know, to journalists like explicitly, you know, like white supremacist, white nationalist talking points to journalists at every opportunity. And you even had journalists coming out. And, and Ken, I, I wonder what your perspective on this is. Um, you had a couple of people go on Twitter when all of this, uh, when I think it was the New York Times reported that, like, we have come in, in into possession of these, like, incredibly racist uh, emails from Stephen Miller. And a bunch of other journalists are like, oh, yeah, we used to get those from him all the time, too. Oh, yeah. And now everyone's like, why didn't you fucking report on that? Why didn't you say that at the time? He was working for Jeff Sessions. Jeff Sessions, who has been able to, like, refashion himself as this, like, southern dandy, like, proper gentleman, you know, like, southern senator guy, like, G. Shook, sort of, like, putting his thumbs in his fucking suspenders, sort of guy. And was like, no, you, you've been actively promoting this, too. You hired Stephen Miller, and now he works for the president doing all of the same racist shit that he did when he worked for you. Well, I'll tell you why. Well, the dirty secret in a big paper like the New York Times is that a lot of their information is coming from the White House and from Stephen Miller. Um, and so I think <laughs> right. that there's a lot of trepidity about um, you know alienating these sources of information. I mean, that's absolutely true. I mean, I'm you know, I don't want to name names, but I know a lot of people that I don't cover exactly this kind of thing, but I know the folks that do. And they all say, yeah, this is a totally open secret. And the Times didn't want to didn't want to be the first one to stick their neck out on it. And then after someone else had, then, yeah, they'll uh, play ball. But uh, not before that. As a journalist yourself, does that does it really come down to what people would assume that that just has to do with your access, your ability to access these sources? Um, I think so. Yeah. I, there's a reason the Times is a paper of record. Uh, I'll give you an example that I think is illustrative. Adam Johnson, I assume you guys know who he is. Um, he found that the CIA had been 
had given a reporter at the Times a uh, some kind of release. I can't remember exactly what it was about, but um, and of course the journalists at the Times they did publish like all of the stuff they were given, just like part of it, and they didn't link to the source documents if i recall so adam you know uh smartly said oh i'll request those under foia so you guys released this to the times therefore it must you know be fair for you know public access or whatever uh, please give me this the cia right. didn't didn't give it to him he ended up suing and amazingly the court ended up affirming the cia's um decision to selectively release this information to someone at the times and not someone else which is amazing because if <laughs> presumably if they're giving it to someone at the times the they can't claim fuck? classification or you know a sensitivity or whatever since the times obviously is like you know they don't have security clearance or need to know or whatever to access these things, but that just shows that there are certain favorite papers. And the way you become the favorite paper is you don't publish the Stephen Miller emails. You know that's amazing. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's ridiculous that this Stephen Miller thing came out, and like my first reaction was like, yeah, oh, what Stephen Miller is racist? Like, oh my god, how, who's what? what <laughs> right, this yeah. is mind blowing, you know. So it like it's not surprising. I agree. It is one of those things where it's like, is it newsworthy that like Stephen Miller says racist stuff? Because like he says racist stuff like on like Fox News and like you know ABC like all the freaking time. But I think you know collecting the years and years of like him sharing like racist articles and you know things and saying like hey do you guys read this book that a racist wrote or like hey you know Richard Spencer's saying some really interesting things and stuff like that it's uh it definitely puts it in perspective I think there is a bit of a like a, a gravity difference between something that somebody says in the heat of an argument on you know a, an MSN NBC a segment or something like that, or something that they sat down and wrote and intentionally sent to somebody else. And also, you know, I won't make any friends of media saying this, but a lot of what we're reporting is essentially obvious. Like, is it any surprise looking at my story that the Defense Department, given all these new authorities, is not going to be abusing them? You right. know, I think any one of us here would have speculated that, yeah, they're probably already doing that. So in my opinion, a lot of reporting really is just making the obvious explicitly clear to sort of uh, audiences that you know might not have the familiarity or sort of skeptical temperament uh, like perhaps we do to 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 guess what's happening to just show it to them and prove it and say look this is here's the proof this is what's going on and make it difficult for them to deny it you know it's almost like a like a quantity over quality approach to uh, political reporting and and I don't mean that in any sort of derogatory way all of this stuff trickles out and can you like can you like wear down somebody's resistance because it's like, oh, here's another example. Right. Right. Instead of like, right. there's not just like one big illustrative example, which was Stephen Miller. We had like before Trump even got elected, you know, like we knew the guy was a fucking white supremacist, right. crazy pants. Uh, but now that like these things just keep coming out, it, what's that uh, like hammering down the enthusiasm of your opposition or something like that, I suppose. It makes it hard for the usual defense of like, well, that's being taken out of context right. and like, you know, that that type of thing right. where it's like, no, you can see like, you know, what they documented, like a thousand emails and like 80% of them were specifically about like racial <laughs> issues right. and, yeah, th and yeah, things totally. like that, where it's like, yeah, it does seem like there is 
a really undeniable like pattern of of repeated activity that does kind of frame it a little bit differently than just like oh did you happen to see that he said a controversial thing one time it is kind of a different story it makes it harder for the super president fan like maga hat wearing chuds to go like give me give me an example of him being racist like <laughs> well actually uh, as a matter of fact, I've got like 200. <laughs> I think that's a reasonable place for us to wrap up. Uh, we'll play something uh, cheerful over the break for you. <laughs> Good luck. We've been talking about. Yeah, we'll see. But um, yeah, when we come back, I want to dig into some more of the um, the ways that information is interacting with the uh, Trump administration and not quite to their benefit. Oh, yeah. teaser. Turns out that the right is turning on itself. Folks, we love to see it. I personally uh, plan to go to the United Nation and uh, to the people of the world to see to it that uh, as much uh, um, attention and concern uh, will be aroused as possible because we must always realize that the people have the power or the potential power and without that knowledge we don't have the rudimentary knowledge. Um, with the weapon of the people, uh, we know that uh, we're due for an eventual victory, and um, it is the capitalist and the speculator who's the gambler, and uh, we're betting on sure things, which in fact is not gambling, because we've observed the uh, course of history, and we're sure to win as the fact of the sun uh, coming up or the fact that the sun came up yesterday. The capitalist is betting that will come up tomorrow, but uh, we only bet on the historical fact and history shows that the people have the power and they always uh, respond in their best interest eventually. Real quick news article that I wanted to cover before we uh, jump into our actual uh, part two here. Um, there was a, an interesting court ruling out of the Kansas Supreme Court um, where they found that uh, abortion is a fundamental right protected by the Kansas state constitution. And abortion advocates are saying that basically at this point, that makes Kansas one of the strongest protected like abortion states, uh, like even stronger than... Uh, what the the federal government guarantees under under Roe v. Wade and Casey versus Planned Parenthood. Everyone knows, just like Kentucky and Virginia, uh, the state of Kansas has long been uh, a bastion of uh, of the far left. <laughs> right. Well, but but what's really funny about that is Kansas actually used to be a bastion of the far left. I mean. That's where John Brown ran his rebellion, but I mean that's that's where like prairie populism was born. Was the idea that like a bunch of farmers basically banding together and going like, no, we're not okay with uh, you know like big corporations coming in and buying out whole towns because they're running the railroad through here or whatever. And, like Kansas actually used to be a, an incredibly populist place. Yeah, that's true of the Midwest anyway. too. You have the sewer socialists sure. as the most prominent example, and then Wisconsin being sort of the testing, the laboratory for the New Deal, where they first tested out the um, programs on a sort of statewide level. But I think there's generally a sort of counterintuitive thing where you sort of look at California and New York and those big states and think, oh, these are the liberal bastions. And it's true in a certain sense, but there's just so much money in those states that to mount 
you know, a social democratic campaign that's going to challenge sure. those power centers is going to be way more difficult in a state where that's just a wash in capital than a desperately poor state where there's not going to be as so much resistance, I think. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And uh, I, I think uh, adding to this little calculation, you also have the you have the sometimes waxing and sometimes waning power of evangelicism or evangelicalism. I'm not sure which one is right. Um <laughs> Jellicle yeah. cats. Uh, <laughs> uh, even evangelo pudding pops, <laughs> uh, where you know a, a lot of the uh, like the economic arguments of the Republican Party have been tied up for so long um, through the Bible Belt with these uh, like social justice oriented things. So it's abortion, gay rights, um, trans rights. Now is you know, like kind of the the thing they're trying to turn into a wedge issue. Uh, and and so it's interesting to watch that, like some of these things are starting to fall apart, you know, that like, you know, like, like we talked about last week, Kentucky just elected a Democratic governor because the economy of Kentucky is not working for the people of Kentucky. And it doesn't matter, like how much you talk about, you know, I, I don't know if they had a bathroom bill, but it's Kentucky. I bet they did. They had one in Nebraska. They had one in Texas. I'm sure they had one in Kentucky, too. You know? Yeah. And I think it's it's one of those things where it is a potential, like, realignment of that, of, like, the evangelical movement where, you know, now that they've got Trump in office and, you know, he has so much evangelical support, I think a lot of people within that movement are kind of taking a second look and being like, wait a minute, what are we actually doing here? And, see, like, does this actually align with, like, what we were our values and, and what we were trying to accomplish? Because... It does seem like they've really made a a devil's bargain to say, uh, oh, we'll just put these people in power and, you know, maybe they'll outlaw abortion. But all of the other things they're doing, uh, I think, is making a lot of people look well. Well, I, I think I don't no, know about I a lot of people, a, but hopefully think, some people. I think that's uh, the best possible transition I could have asked for into what I'd actually like to talk about on the second segment, which is this idea of the alt-right turning on Trumpism and sort of the, the Republican or uh, like billionaire-funded libertarian establishment. Um, and I, I point toward a couple of times uh, recently when stalwarts of, you know, kind of like Trumpism have been effectively booed off stage by even more extreme people on the right. Um, Don Jr. Uh, was doing an event for his new book, Triggered, and they all started shouting Q&A, Q&A, until he just left the stage. <laughs> um, and then, again, recently, uh, Charlie Kirk from Turning Point USA was going to do an event and then ended up, like, cutting the Q&A short because all of these people online had planned to ask him, like, you used to be against Trump. What the fuck, man? Yeah, it's one of those things where when I saw this happen, I was like, oh, you know, somebody protested the Donald Trump Jr. book signing or whatever. Like, oh, wait, it was the alt-right? Yeah. Like, if you would have told me, like, the alt-right would look at Donald Trump Jr. and Charlie Kirk and be like those guys aren't alt-right enough. I would have been like, no way, man. There's no way that's going to happen. That's insane. But apparently that is actually what's going on. They think that they're not uh, 
they're not fighting hard enough for uh, white nationalism and they're not openly white nationalist enough. So they've decided that they've got to like up their uh, up their campaign of aggression to uh, make it clear how incredibly toxic right. racist they Running are. Running for uh, like Steve King president, you know, 2024 or whatever. Yeah, almost like uh, the bra- it's like the brave fighters of the Mujahideen scene in the Rambo movie. It's like they don't know the can of worms <laughs> they've opened here. You know what I mean? <laughs> Where it's like <laughs> they they didn't anticipate what would happen when they when they sort of backed these very dark forces. Well, we've been saying that yeah. for who could have we've predicted? been saying that for a long time with the rise of the Tea Party. It was like oh, you've got sort of a, a Tea Party was more of a like incohate like values based movement um where you know once they came into power it was like oh everybody underestimated that they ended up fucking sweeping congress in uh what was that 2006 right uh and, and then and then kept up that momentum but i'm wondering if the the difference now is that um a, a lot of the sort of mainstream right the mainstream republican narrative is falling apart and it's falling apart in different directions really like the economic arguments don't really make a whole lot of sense you tell somebody like oh the the stock market's doing great it's like i don't own any stock that doesn't help me <laughs> as a person yeah. and and meanwhile it's like oh we'd like to reach an immigration deal and it's like what the fuck i i thought you said that we were going to be shooting immigrants at the border like i'm not okay with that either you know um, so their their base is going to start falling apart, or it seems to be falling apart right now, based along these extremist lines. But the extremist lines only cohere to the extent that the Republican like overall narrative coheres. And once that starts to fall apart, what happens to your base at that point? Yeah, I mean, it's something that I've been wondering, like, oh, when is the moment that, you know, that the Republicans are going to turn on Trump? And I had always thought that they would turn on Trump because he's so <laughs> right. racist and unpopular. Because he but says the fact, quiet part loud is- and they fucking hate that. I mean, that's where that's where like right. the the last half dozen never Trump Republicans still stand. Right. Right. But in fact, those people are totally willing to go along with whatever Trump says for for some reason, I guess, just because they think he's still popular enough to, you know, that they don't want to turn on him. And so all these people who thought, you know, like people like Ben Sass and stuff who were out there saying like, well, I'm making a principled stand, right? They're going to just say whatever Trump wants them to say in order to go along with his racist agenda. But the real racists, they're actually the ones who are turning on Trump for not being racist enough, which is definitely not something that I would have predicted. And I guess, again, it just goes to show the, the fact that just like with the tea party and stuff like that. It's like the people who are the loudest, that they have no shame. They're willing to go, you know, scream racist things at a Donald Trump Jr. book signing event. Um, They're going to continue to like define the conversation of, because Trump listens to those people. It's like a feedback loop that he's created with these like QAnon conspiracy theory well, and not just people online. I mean, we, it's a self-perpetuating yeah, we know cycle. that he watches like Tucker Carlson and Tucker Carlson takes his cues from the White House. It's it ends up being a, you know, a virtuous cycle where the racism of 
uh, you know, Fox News commentators feeds the racism of the White House, and then it just keeps cycling up from there. There was an interesting an, an Ouroboros. Yeah, I call it the or people have called it the human centipede effect. And in my in my story, there's a really <laughs> yeah. good illustration of this actually. Um, the one of the, in the Intercept about the DoD. Um, one of their uh, what was it called? They have a term: significant event notifications in their threat assessment was about something called a border convergence thing that was supposed to be some you know anti-trump border policies protest um again seemed you know non-violent from what i could find about it um but the origins of the um media coverage of this convergence event which by the way never happened uh was an andy no tweet saying here come the antifa to like take over the border or whatever it is i don't remember his exact tweet. <laughs> right but it was a very it was sort of you know sort of hysterically framed and then that's well, when and, all the and coverage no started. i mean he's like the most the most fucking uh gullible person working in news right now <laughs> if you can even call what he does news but i mean if if he had been more on the scene when it all happened like he absolutely would have been tweeting about like Antifa super soldiers being bred in like a secret bunker. Right. You know? And as ridiculous as all that is, the military ended up issuing that, you know, warning about it internally. So it's kind of like, it almost doesn't, it's like you said, it's like they're, they're <laughs> huffing they their actually? own. Yeah. They're huffing their own stuff. It's like Andy no comes up with this thing and then starts shrieking about it. And then um, what's the, the daily caller covers it. And then big league politics covers it. And the next thing you know, the Pentagon is like issuing warnings internally about it. So Jesus it's like a whole metabolic cycle, like around something that never happened. But yeah, I mean, I guess it it, it is a you know I don't know that it's necessarily like a successful strategy for like f- forming a sustainable like political coalition, but um, it does just it does definitely make me very nervous because it just indicates that there is a base of support out there that is significant enough that it can say, well, you know, Trump's actually not, we need someone worse yeah. than Trump, right? That to, and that there, you would think like, oh, anybody who's more extreme than that won't be able to get hardly any support. But there are enough people out there who are willing to support somebody who is even worse. Uh, and so it does definitely make me concerned about, uh, you know, the future of the, of the, the alt-right because uh, it seems like there is just no, bottom to like how how low they will sink and how unafraid they are to just be out there um being just openly racist and saying like yeah we're white nationalists and, and yeah we're proud they want to win they believe in the thing that they believe in and so when their leaders that they thought were going to usher in that that new age of what they believe in didn't do that of course they're going to turn on them but also they're incredibly active and activated and really angry and yeah it's it's a uh, it's concerning for sure i mean the guy who uh organized the thing against uh don jr is nick j fuentes who was one of the like main unite the right organizers in the charlottesville like the 2016 charlottesville thing that as we all recall got a bunch got a person killed and a whole bunch of other people injured. You know, this is, these are the tactics that they would like to see. It's honest to God fascism. I mean, it's street level, like brown shirt shit. Yup. <laughs> Somebody's got to say something else. Well, 
And I think, uh, you know, there is one thing that, that I wanted to talk about that kind of ties into this, too, is that um, it is something that I think does have the potential to really rip some of these, you know, rifts in the Republican coalition apart even wider because um, the Republicans are right now with this whole impeachment thing, like they're desperate for this like party unity thing to just say like, hey, we just got to get through this. We just got to get Trump reelected so that we can continue to have tax cuts for billionaires or whatever the hell they want to do. Um, But this, the more these people like make noise, I think the more that a lot of people want to disassociate themselves with them. Well, maybe, okay, I'm sorry, a a real quick aside, (laughs) and maybe Ken has a little bit of perspective on this. Um, At the same time, all of this shit is going on. You've got Matt fucking Iglesias from Vox News saying, (laughs) like, I don't see how anybody can look at these populist arguments that are popular on the on the right and not go maybe the democrats need to you know like meet cultural conservatives in the middle on a couple of things i love that because the subtext there is like you know we've given the people so much i mean we've just given them social democratic concession after social democratic concession what left is there to do and the reality is it's like we've tried every variation of uh, you know, deficit hawk, uh, fiscal conservative yeah, austerity uh, measures. Fucking like stuff. we're gonna we're gonna walk back abortion rights. We're gonna walk back gay rights. Like we're not gonna go in hard on gay rights or anything like that. You know, somebody somebody pointed out, dude. What if so, somebody people? pointed out today that uh, the show "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia" has been on longer than the Democratic Party was not overtly homophobic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh yeah i mean people forget that like obama for the longest time was like right. no i don't support right. gay marriage at all like i I, th- I think marriage is between a man and a woman and shit like that uh but yeah i mean i i think uh it i think there is something to be said for the idea of pop of populism and saying like hey the democrats maybe should like do some populism as well um because I think that is there are populist. Well, we things know what that, that looks like. Not. It's called fucking yeah, no, socialism. But that's not, <laughs> but that's not what. Right. That's not what Matt. That's right. not what Matt Iglesias is, is saying to. He's saying uh, it's he's that Randy tweet where it's like the day after the election. He's like the Democrats are going to look at themselves in the mirror and say, right, yeah, totally racist. Or the that's or the fucking wind tweet. Well, you see, like or the drill like Hillary tweet Clinton out like, there today, you know, uh, turning up a big dial that says racism and constantly looking over my shoulder <laughs> at the audience, like like I'm on the Price Is Right. <laughs> exactly. That's, right. That's what I can't stand about these well, guys. Yeah, it's like, like there's yeah, no. Think... You can't just give people social services or money, or it, there's got to be this awful shit, you know. Yeah, I know. I think Hillary Clinton was, you know, saying the other day, like, you know, I don't know. I'm not so sure about trans people. Uh, Maybe they should. Maybe they shouldn't have rights. You know, like that's the kind of shit where a lot of those people, I think, are are going to go because they can look at those. uh, They can look at those, uh, you know, polls and say, like, oh, it looks like a lot of people are, you know, don't don't feel great about that. So, oh, who cares about, uh, you know, principles or whatever? Like, just because if we change our Um, uh, platform enough. All of these Republicans are going to vote for the Democrat instead of the Republican because we know that that's how that happens. Right. I mean, and that's I mean, I think that's the same thing that are trying right now with uh, uh, Deval Patrick has entered the race, I guess. Uh, Brendan, you had a really funny joke uh, today that was like, 
the uh, Democratic primary field is getting bigger at this point, which seems like that's the opposite of the direction it should be headed. <laughs> yeah, it is absolutely ridiculous. Because we got freaking Bloomberg jumping in, and now this Deval Patrick guy. Right. It's like, what the hell is going on? And really, I mean, the only explanation is that these are like, like AfroTurf funded, uh, you know, did like you say AfroTurf that are like? I, I think that's. I think it's highly Af- problematic. Yeah. I think uh, we should avoid. Ter- it's a new term. Saying that, <laughs> dude, we're seeing in real time. He's becoming more populous now. God, yeah. <laughs> took like five minutes. He's playing to the racist <laughs> right. populace. Just, just yeah. go with it. Just go with it. <laughs> but no, it's like these ass, these fake astroturf campaigns or whatever, like Bloomberg and Deval Patrick or whatever, who's like used to work for freaking Mitt Romney at Bain Capital or whatever the hell, saying like, "I'm a Democrat and I think billionaires are great." You know, it's like, what the hell are you doing? You know, the the only explanation for that kind of shit is that they're getting too close to the truth and that, you know, they got to shut it down. That's exactly what I think. I think this is a good, uh, no, I think this is a positive thing. Um, It shows, I think that the, that the rich are uh, sort of panicking now and saying, Oh my God, Bernie and Warren are actually still, you know, electorally feasible. Like, what do we do? And then, they're like, well, we can just put another guy in yeah, there. Yeah, like Buttigieg is kind of topped out. Biden that, you know? is uh, he's eclipsing at this point. You know, that's a gets a good choice. Of words. You see, Elizabeth Warren is selling. Uh, she's selling uh, oh, yeah. mugs that say "Billionaire Tears." <laughs> yeah, on whatever, whatever. That's now funny. Yeah, that's actually why like, they do? relatable. Yeah, why do they? Do? I don't understand. Why would Lloyd Blankfein think that anything he says about someone like Warren isn't just free advertising. <laughs> right. I, like, why does he go out and do this stuff? You know, that's well, how shit, we talked about it last week with Lloyd about the, like the crying billionaire guy. It's like, you're just, you're just, you're just <laughs> so affecting yourself into like, Oh, this is just more reasons to hate fucking billionaires. <laughs> well, that's what it is. I think they're throwing a tantrum and they are so out of touch that they're like, you know, surely all seven of these interchangeable candidates, like Buttigieg and you know Harris and so on and so forth, sh- uh, you know, surely they all just got it wrong, and we just need to put another guy in there, and then everyone's gonna like that guy. Like they just can't understand that it's like, oh, people actually want social services. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, pe- people don't. People don't actually want anything. That's what we've learned from the last news cycle. Is that like actually everybody loves billionaires, like. They're the ones who, you know, they, right. they lived the American dream, baby. They like they climbed from the bottom all the way to the top. And now, like, they're enjoying the fruits of their labor. For some reason, me as a person who struggles to pay the rent and like, I'm really inspired by that. Uh, I, I, I'm glad for them, even though that's 100 percent out of my reach forever. For my entire lifetime, I will never reach that that height of richness. Well, the first billion's the hardest, is what they always say. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a little break there. Um, I'm I'm gonna say, you know, this is a little behind the scenes thing, but um, I will be editing part two this week because I'm not going to let Brendan edit out the time that he said Astro. Or, or Afro nope, turf. That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that is one hundred percent. I can't believe you would show. edit it to make it sound like I we said an get... accidentally racist thing. That's that is so rude of you <laughs> to to do that. He is the drill. He is the drill tweet. He's just turning the <laughs> volume up and watching the audience. <laughs> 
I love we were just talking about that. That's <laughs> uh, so funny. It's probably no surprise that Donald Trump Jr. and his girlfriend, Kimberly Guilfoyle, were met by protesters inside a public appearance they had at UCLA over the weekend. He was there to promote his new book, which is a lot about bashing uh, the left. And here is what happened when he took the stage and was trying to explain why the question and answer portion of this program was being canceled. Name a time where conservatives have disrupted even the furthest leftists on a college campus. Right? It, it doesn't happen that way. We're, we're willing to listen. We're willing to listen. See what I mean? And that's, that is the problem. And the reason oftentimes it doesn't make sense to do the Q&A is not because we're not willing to talk about the questions, because we do. No. It's because people hijack it with nonsense looking to go for some sort of soundbite. You have people spreading nonsense, spreading hate to try to take over that room. No, and that's the real issue no, in the room. because you're not making your parents proud by being rude and disruptive and discourteous. We are happy to answer a question. Respect the people around you so that they can hear. You don't play. You don't play by the same rules. Let me tell you something. I bet you engage and go on online dating because you're impressing no one here to get a date in person. Well, we're back in the portion of the show where we uh, we try to take it out on a high note, something a little bit more positive than what we've talked about. So I'm going to go first because I'm not sure that mine is incredibly positive, but I did think it was very funny um, that the New York Times released their... Uh, bestsellers list and at the top of the nonfiction category was Donald Trump Jr.'s triggered uh, how the left destroyed my dick or whatever it's called. (laughs) It also had this little like dagger like cross next to it and somebody tweeted and said every published author knows what this is. I did not know because I'm not a published author but I looked it up and it turns out that this little dagger cross next to it means this is at the top of the New York Times bestseller list because it was purchased the most times, but probably in bulk that somebody went out and bought, you know, you know we're going to buy like 3 million copies of this book. Um, and it turns out that it was the president. Shocker. Don Jr.'s dad finally well recognized his efforts and bought a shitload of his books so that they could hand them out at, you know, for like high dollar donors at fundraisers, campaign fundraisers or, or whatever. Let's be clear. Donald Trump did not spend his own personal money to do this. Sure. He's using the RNC's money. Are those things, is there a meaningful distinction between those things at this point? Oh, 100%. I mean, as we as we all know, the Trump administration takes uh, election funding uh, very seriously, <laughs> the separation of, of accounting and all that. But no, I just wanted to make sure that like, we're not saying like Donald Trump in his own personal capacity, like went and bought a bunch of his own songs. Donald books. Trump did not write a check for no. these books. I mean, right. he had the Republican... National Committee purchased the books for him, and then he sent out like a mass email that was like, "Oh, if you want a comfy, a copy, uh, you know, a signed copy of my son's shitty book, just donate like two hundred dollars to my campaign, sure. and I'll send you a signed copy yeah. of the book or whatever." Well, and what's, what what I think is especially amazing is because it's going through one of the campaign funds, 
that's all tax write offable. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like that Don Jr. gets the profits from this book and the money that was spent on this book, they can take a tax write off on it. Yeah. I've got a pro tip for everybody. Just literally wait like two months and you'll be able to get this book at the dollar store. It's going to be sure. It's going to be really hey, get easy a, to do. Get a goodwill, you know. <laughs> There'll just be piles of them. It'll be like Twilight. Be seeing it everywhere. Anyway, I'm just, you know, I'm just glad like- to see, you know, a son finally live up to his his dad's expectations <laughs> and get the recognition that he, he deserves. That's my high note. I think it's I think it's a beautiful thing. Family, family ties. That's right. Family, respect, mm-hmm. honor. Mm. The three things. Yeah. Why didn't Hunter Biden just write a book about how the right uh, is is snowflakes? <laughs> Missed opportunity. He should. Hunter should do like uh, a Jack Kerouac kind of on the road, like like, oh, drug, yeah, totally. like drug memoir <laughs> kind of thing. That would like touch off. I think I think a Hunter, million little pieces. Hunter needs to <laughs> needs to challenge like Don Jr. or Eric to uh like celebrity cage match. Like that YouTube guy. Yeah, or the uh yeah. celebrity death matches of yore. Well man, speaking of uh of political death matches, my high note this week is that AOC, congrats to AOC making it to silver rank <laughs> in League of Legends. How does she find the time? You know, I'm not even in Congress and I don't have time to get addicted to League of Legends. <laughs> I don't understand how it's possible. But uh, yeah, that was a, that was pretty surprising. People actually dug up her old Reddit account where she posted in the League of Legends subreddit like three years ago. Did she drop like a million N-bombs or like F-bombs? <laughs> no. Um... no, she was basically like, she was posting like, what are some good streams to watch or whatever when I'm trying to like rank up my skills on the summoner or whatever the fuck it was. And the million people said Chapo Trap House. <laughs> yeah. she. Well, dude, it's amazing. So you can actually go back and look at her Reddit post history, which she didn't post that much until she was running for Congress because then she posted like a bunch of like interview type posts or whatever, sure. including in the Chapo subreddit, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, you can go back and look at her post history where there's a post that she had that was like, you know, I'm going to print out some Bernie flyers, but I also just feel like maybe I could do more. Like, I don't really know. Like, what do you guys think we should be doing to help? <laughs> and this was like, you know what? Amazing. Maybe I'll just run for Congress and become a yeah. congressperson. <laughs> maybe I'll just run for Congress and then endorse him and then come and give the largest campaign rally of the Iowa Democratic presidential campaign <laughs> Man, so when far. she goes, she goes big. And I love it. <laughs> and defeat the second yeah. most powerful Democrat in the House by a margin of like nine <laughs> right. points. <laughs> like, yeah. a, what was it? Like a seven-term or eight-term congressman? <laughs> yeah. That's when you know you got a solid establishment when some, you know, 28-year-old can just stomp the second highest guy. In the- right. I mean, she and she she honed her skills playing League, League of Legends. <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was funny. So uh, she's a silver rank, but she is not the highest ranked League of Legends player in Congress. That honor goes to uh, Mitch McConnell. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, dude. (laughs) California uh, Representative Josh Harder uh, is a platinum rank, the highest you can get. And he uh, tweeted in response to her uh, or her post, Congress might work better. If more battles were fought on the Summoner's Rift, 
instead of in partisan <laughs> committee hearings. And I think we can all agree that that's 1,000% true. I like the direction Congress is going. Is he a Democrat or a Republican? He's a Democrat. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's from California. He's, he's a Democrat. I could get used to this. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm saying softball league, the Congressional Softball League is kind of out. I think the Congressional League of Legends has to start up. And, you know, we have to just have an annual tournament. <laughs> Dems versus versus ours taking it three on three. Look, this is not the first. This is not the second. I'm not sure it's even the third episode that we've advocated for. We need our elected representatives to be playing video games against each other all the time. Oh, dude, can you imagine if the Democrats started stomping Republicans in Congressional League of Legends matches? What would the gamers <laughs> do? They would Their, their allegiances yeah, would yeah. be so fractured, you know? This is how we win. This is how we win the future. They only respect gaming victory. You know, you've got to get your victories where you can get them. Well, congrats to AOC for her, what do you call it, promotion or something? Her <laughs> rank, rank up, bro. Rank she's up. she's rank prestiging. Up. <laughs> um, but yes, in addition to that, she also came to Council Bluffs. I was able to see her speak in person. It was actually amazing. She is such an amazing speaker. She had no prepared remarks. She came out and she just started talking. She was like, you know, I started to do prepared remarks and then I was like on the plane here and I was like, I really should put something together. And she was like, ah, you know what? Like, I'm not even good at prepared remarks anyway. So I'm just going to like wing it. She was like, I think my friend Jen is here. Jen's from Omaha. And she was like, yes, I'm over here. And she was like, oh, Jen, yeah, we used to bartend together <laughs> in Manhattan for like three years. We both like lost our health insurance at the same time and we like helped each other like try to navigate the insurance industry. And she was like, that was an important step in like my political awakening and stuff like that. She talked about how the the right tries to like play people from Manhattan and from New York, like they demonize like, oh, these liberal elites or whatever on the coasts, they don't represent your values. And she's like, sure. But the more I talk to people, like I've never been to Iowa before, but the more I talk to people, I realize that we have so much more in common than most people would, would want you to think. Hell yeah. And that, you know, everybody needs healthcare. Everybody needs, you know, a safe place to live and for their kids to go to school. Like that's not a difference between a city and like a more rural area. Um, so, you know, we need, you know, we need solidarity. You know, I want people talk about unity, but I want more than unity. I want solidarity where instead of just saying like, oh yeah, that's, I'm fine with them. Like I actually want to fight for them. I want to fight for their rights, even though they have a different life experience than me and stuff. So it was absolutely incredible. And, uh, She's an amazing public speaker and just it was amazing to see her in person for sure. Well, and she was she was just the opening act for Bernie, right? I mean, you were there to see Bernie. He also had four bands, <laughs> all really good, two different Native American speakers, huh. two different ones. Two different Native American. Have you ever heard of anything so I I was like, wow, he has a Native American speaker. Like, that's actually really impressive. Like, you don't see that. And then he had two. It was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Hell yeah. <laughs> it was great. It was, a, it was a fun time. And yeah, the biggest rally, 2,500 people were there. When I showed up, we showed up like three hours early because I was like, oh, it's going to fill up really quick or whatever. And when I first showed up three hours early, I was like, oh, this is really disappointing. There's there's not that many people here. 
But then by the time the actual rally kicked off, it was fucking packed. It Hell was yeah. absolutely awesome. Interesting. It turns out like uh, people actually can't go to a thing until like after like 530 when they get off of fucking work. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, good point. Iowa caucuses. Yeah. So that was really that was really great. That's uh, that's my second high note. Those are fantastic high notes. Thank you, Brandon. Coming to an Iowa near you. Make <laughs> make your way make your way up there. Ken, can you can you measure up? Do you think you have a high note to to equal Brandon's? I'll keep with the theme of AOC, and I would say a high note was just right before coming on this podcast, uh, seeing AOC just either Dave Rubin. Do you guys see this? <laughs> oh God, <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Explain the thing though, because not everybody is as incredibly online as we are as online as us yeah and so ruben it which would be funny in itself he has a tweet where he's like i just got this email from aoc and he thought it was like a campaign or like fundraising email <laughs> kind of thing and then he's like how do i how do i get taken off this list and then uh what he doesn't realize is that this is an internal like congressional like a uh, listserv kind of thing that um congressional reporters all get updates on like it wasn't anything Well, because aoc and bernie introduced a bill right. about um how to like improve public housing and like make it uh more like environmentally sustainable right. and stuff and so they put out like their standard like congressional press release like oh here's the bill well but also like the way that the way that dave rubin tends to talk about aoc it wasn't clear that his initial impression was not like oh aoc is emailing me individually <laughs> this is just just coming from aoc herself (laughs) and then so aoc replies to that she's like oh that's actually like a congressional like uh internal thing just for like policy stuff as as you were saying this was for an actual bill that they you know introduced or legislation that they had proposed and she says you must have been mistaken for a journalist which i understand you're not so i'll I'll fix that right (laughs) away (laughs) everyone just starts tweeting that out (laughs) absolutely fucking ethered yeah (laughs) Oh man, I was laughing yeah, so even, hard. Even even Ruben uh, had to give her props. He was like, uh, you got you got me on that one." He's right, like, "Yeah, he, yeah." He, that's what he said. He's yeah. like, "He's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll give it to you." <laughs> and it's just like I've never seen. Yeah, it like, I, I don't agree with you on anything, but that was a good joke. And then somebody immediately tweeted the uh, meme face, or it was like the NPC with like the the laughing mask over yeah. it. I'm not. I'm not owned. I'm not no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that's my high, that's my high moment. I'd say unbelievable high. <laughs> it was a very uh, very AOC heavy high note. But hey, that's what's happening in American politics, folks. That's why you listen to Liquid Flannel, right? You you hear about like when socialists are like winning. It's nice. It's it's good for all of us. Well, Ken Kofenstein, I'm so glad that you uh, were able to make the time to to join us on the show again thank you for bearing with me with my uh technical difficulties oh that's fine even though we lost an entire episode one time because of technical difficulties uh we don't hold it against <laughs> I'm you i'm just a simple country boy reporter i don't know this <laughs> tech stuff you know he's he's not a producer folks he's a reporter and he does excellent work at the young turks it's called uh, tyt investigates and you can check out my stories at ken klippenstein on twitter He's extremely good. The rest of us are all on Twitter. Also, you can follow the show at liquid underscore flannel. You can follow me at Matt the Great with the W. And you can follow Brendan Williams at... At Brendan Williams with one L. 
That's right. I'm, I'm also mm-hmm. at AOC. That's my alt. <laughs> <laughs> it's very popular. I don't think you're supposed to say when you're tweeting for a congressperson. It's a, it's a secret. <laughs> it's been a treat, everybody. Real, real tweets are signed BW. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. right. Keep your eyes peeled. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll see you all next week.